0: Hey, guys, welcome back once again to my Word from God podcast. This is Pastor Mark Page. Welcome back to my Word from God podcast. this is pastor mark page i'm uh, coming to you today with kind of a heavy heart thinking about what our Lord Jesus went through for us. Um, we celebrate that this week this holy week, and if you've been following along with my uh, previous podcasts we've talked about um, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey um the We call that Palm Sunday, and then yesterday we talked about his prayer in John chapter 17, and kind of a little bit about his final discourse to his apostles. And today, I just want to talk um, to you guys from Luke chapter 22 about uh, the Last Supper. And it's interesting that Jesus prepares this upper room for the Last Supper during a time of feasting, which they call a celebration, a Jewish celebration called Passover, and I'm gonna give you a little history behind what the Passover is, and then I'm gonna to read to you from Luke chapter twenty two and then just talk through what Jesus did for us and why it's important um at the Last Supper. The Last Supper is where he instituted communion. Um that's where he called basically called one of the apostles out and said that they would betray him, and we know that was Judas Iscariot, and that he, uh, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But before we get into all of that, I just want to uh, introduce the Passover to you. Um, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. Um, the, the word says, and I'm just quoting here, so paraphrasing, that a, a Pharaoh came along that didn't know who Joseph was. And if you remember, Joseph was, um, Jacob's son, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Jacob's son. He had 12 sons, but one of them was Joseph. He had, um, become really great in the kingdom of Egypt and had basically saved through the Lord's, um, revelation through dreams, saved the whole nation of Egypt from famine. And, uh, then the children of Israel moved to Egypt. And after a couple hundred years, we find out that uh, we see that they forgot who Joseph was. They forgot who um, kind of brought the children of Israel there, and they had populated Egypt, so they basically felt threatened and enslaved them all. Passover was the final, um, I-, I wouldn't call it a plague, but the final act of God against Egypt uh, before Pharaoh set or allowed God's people to go. And if you know, Moses, at this point in time, Kept going to the Pharaoh and saying, "Let my people go," and uh, he kept saying, "No, I'm not going to let your people go." And God brought all kinds of plagues against the children of of or the people of Egypt, and uh, the final plague was that the angel of death, the death angel, was going to kill the firstborn child for ev- from every home. And uh, this is very this is very tough to think about, but what God offered for anyone who would. Uh, was was freedom was deliverance from this for anyone who would um, sacrifice a lamb and paint the doorposts of their house with the blood of a lamb. And um, this would signify uh, I think later the blood of Christ on the cross. but in this in this particular instance, the only way that the people would be rescued their firstborn would not be killed was if their houses their doorposts were painted by the blood of a lamb and so we see that um the israelites paint their doorposts with the blood of the of the lambs that they um sacrificed to god and the angel passes over and so for um all of the future in judaism you see that the passover is instituted in in the old testament even um and is celebrated every year by the jews Jesus was about to be betrayed during the Passover. How interesting is that? That the same God who passed over the the children of Israel is going to pass over my sin by pouring His wrath out on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. We'll talk more about well, what it means that Jesus finished His work on the cross and and how He took our sin and how He paid for that here in a few days, but... Um, today, I want to just focus on what Jesus actually said at the Last Supper and what he actually did and why it's important. Luke chapter 22 says this Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed, Passover lamb, and he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? Once again, not knowing what Jesus' plan was and just being obedient. Uh, And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down, Jesus, and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, This is the last year I'm going to have this feast with you before I go to my heavenly Father But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you. As the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Just as Satan asked for Job that he could sift him. Jesus is now getting really clear, really bold with what is going on in the spiritual realm. Satan has asked for the heart of Apostle Peter. He says, but I have prayed for you. I love that. Jesus is saying, I have advocated for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow three times this day, before you deny me three times. Excuse me, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times. And he said to them, when I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this is... This which is written must be still accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Father, I just want to lift up everyone who hears this podcast today to you. Jesus, I just want to ask you to be in this moment with them, with us. We know that you don't leave. And so, God, I just ask for a supernatural, um, spirit-filled word from you today about what you went through leading up to the cross. And Jesus, don't let us miss you in our lives, like so many people missed you when you were walking in Jerusalem. Um, coming to be our advocate, coming to be um our savior, the savior of the world, coming to be our hope, our very present help. And Jesus, we need you today, just like we always have, and I ask. Um, Father, that you would glorify yourself through the, the teaching of your word out of Luke chapter 22. And uh, Jesus, today we just praise you, we honor you, and um, ask that your Holy Spirit would be very close and would teach us how to live, how to love, and how to really um, praise you for who you are. I pray this in your name. Amen. This te- this uh, message title today is actually called Remember Me, and it follows along in my series called Don't Miss Your Messiah, Following the Footsteps of Christ. Yesterday we talked about John 17. I went a little out of sequence there, but I, I really wanted to save the Passover for today and save the Last Supper for today. So, yes, it's called Remember Me, and I want to just give you a few um, truths about this passage that are also applicable to our lives. And um, the first one I, I find in this passage is that Jesus, number one, had an enemy. He had an enemy. Satan wanted Jesus dead. And we see that he uh, he entered basically the heart of Judas. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, For they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who is numbered among the 12. Satan entered Judas because he knew that he was a weak link. Satan entered Judas to get close to Jesus. Know this that there is going to be satanic opposition to you obeying the will of God. It was the will of God that Jesus went to the cross. So Satan didn't enter some random scribe, although he was there too, uh, to get close to Jesus. Satan wants to find his way into your inner circle, and sometimes God lets him do it so that his will can be completed. It's a very interesting thing, but he says, so he went away and he conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. Do not be surprised when betrayal surrounds your obedience to Jesus Christ, and don't blame people. Just trust God in that. But he had an enemy; Satan wanted Jesus dead. The first thing that we see in this walk towards the cross is that Jesus starts to be, be betrayed, and not only betrayed, but then we'll, we'll see in a few chapters, see in a few um, days that that he gets denied. Then he then he gets left completely abandoned, and he gets beaten and scourged. And even killed. And it started in Judas from Satan. Satan entered Judas to destroy Jesus. The second thing I, I want to say here is that Jesus, although this was happening, he had the power of God. We see that in verse 10 where it says, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then he gives us basically a description of what he's going to say and what they're going to say and how it's going to work out. Um, and, And the point here is this, that Jesus is sovereign over the situation even when it looks bleak. For Jesus, it was the cross he was going all the way to death. He was walking into the the most painful time of betrayal and abandonment, like I just mentioned. But um, he's still sovereign, and so for you in your life today, that's good news to know that that Jesus knows where the person with the pitcher of water is walking. Jesus knows where the person um, or the thing that you need is at all times, even when you can't see it. Let's have the faith to say, um, "Where do you want us to prepare?" Let's have the faith that say, "Okay, God, uh, wh- wh- where where are the funds coming from? Okay, God, where uh, where is this? How is this relationship going to be mended? And just obey Him to walk where He says to walk." And basically, that led them to the upper room. Number two is that Jesus had the power of God. He was all knowing. He was sovereign over the situation, even in His humility, even in His servanthood. Even in his emptying himself of his divine uh, attributes and his glory, we see that Jesus is God, and he knows the past, the present, and the future. And he knows where the upper room is. It's interesting to me, too, to think that um, Jesus is interested in preparing a place for people to sit down and commune with him. Jesus cares about the location And he cares about the timing, and he cares about spending time with you and I. In this case, it was with his apostles. But I love what he says here next. Jesus says, verse 15, then he said to them, with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So, number three is this Jesus has a passionate love for his friends. He says fervent desire. That's a deep, moving desire, the desire, the kind of passion that causes you to step out of the boat and, and, and to do things that are greater than you can even imagine that you can do. So follow Jesus and believe this, that he wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't just want to have a relationship. In fact, the, the um, revelation talks about the marriage supper of the lamb, and, and Paul talks about it as well, that there's coming a day that we're going to sit down in his presence, and we're going to have dinner with him. We're going to have communion with him. And that's interesting that that word keeps coming up because this is where, in just a few verses, Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper. Some would call it uh, the Eucharist, others would call it um, communion. He says, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus is looking forward to and passionately excited about eating this dinner, even though he knows that the cross is coming. I would say this. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we can still have a passionate Christ-like love for the people around us so that we, even when we do know something bad is coming down the pipe, even when we sense in our soul something is off, Let's be present where we are and enjoy what God has for us there, even if after that time we have to walk into a season of testing. Don't let fear of the future or of the unknown stop you from being present in the known in your current situation. Find peace in the fact that Jesus had supernatural, uh, the supernatural strength to enjoy dinner, even with Judas Iscariot, who was going to betray him. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Divide this among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The kingdom of God. Number four as we go on is this. Jesus invited us to the table of remembrance. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. He invited us to the table of remembrance. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, this is the title of my message, Remember Me. Jesus is giving us in this new covenant, in this new covenant, testament. He's giving us a new way of doing things. And this is what he wants us to do. Remember his body that he gave for us. There's an interesting um, amount of times that the word remember is used in the Bible. In, In the Old Testament, God says consistently, if my people will do this, or if my people will humble themselves and pray and do that, then I will hear from heaven. Or he even says a lot of times, I will remember them and I will deliver them. Jesus is saying it is important that you remember me. Remember what I've done. And today, wherever you are, remember what Jesus did in the light. Remember what he did in the strong spiritual times. Remember what he did when he saved you by grace through faith. Remember who he is, what his mission is, what his plan is. Uh, how strong he is, how over and above uh, and capable and able he is. Remember him. In the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, remember who God is. Remember that he's on the throne. Remember that he loved you with an uh, unequivocal, agape love. What else do we remember about Jesus? I remember As I think about Jesus, that he's the one who formed my inward parts, as the psalmist says. He created me, and he formed me in my mother's womb. And I think he wants us today to remember the cross, where the God of all creation, on a tree that he created, took nails and hung there and died for you and for me. This is my body which is given for you or broken for you. And as he breaks the bread, this image of Jesus giving his body away and letting us eat of it and take part in it and be uh, to commune with him is so powerful. That's why we do it in, in church services. That's why we remember Christ as the body. We do this as a group because we're all taking part of the suffering of Christ. You'll never just take part of the glory of God. You'll always have to take part of the suffering to experience the glory. This do in remembrance of me. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Don't forget that he has invited you to the table of remembrance. That song, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Be set free. Come to the table. Verse 20 says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The blood of Jesus is the cup of suffering that we must drink in this new covenant. We take part and we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Our doorposts now, by grace through faith and Jesus' salvation in Jesus'. The doorposts of our home are covered. We overcome revelation by the power of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Jesus freely offered us communion with him through his blood. And now he offers us access to him freely through his blood. Hebrews says that we can enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The word says that the blood of bulls and goats and and, and rams and and lambs and animals in general could not forgive sin. God forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin. And he does so by the shedding of blood. He shed his blood for you and for me. And if I'm not overcoming, maybe it's because I don't have faith in the blood of the lamb. Or maybe it's I'm not, I'm not partaking of the suffering of Christ. Or I'm not giving my all. Or I'm not denying myself, taking up my cross and following him. And I think this really gets, this really gets, hits home here for me when I think about Jesus saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If we're gonna follow Jesus, we're gonna have to walk through the season where the enemy is breathing down our neck. We're gonna have to walk through the season with the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony is the only way we're making it. And we might have to walk through fire but I know he's in the fire with me. We might have to walk through the sea, but I know he can split it right down the middle. Whatever you're walking through, anxiety, your depression, your fear, your lust, your anger, your your, uh, dysfunction, or mine, whatever the thing is that we are fighting as a church, like we talked about yesterday, division. Jesus wants to bring reconciliation, And he wants to bring a new covenant and a new hope to our lives by offering us his blood. That's how we overcome, guys. Be washed and cleansed by his blood. Take part in the suffering and the glory of Christ. And then he says, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. There's a psalm, Psalm 23 says, and I, and I just had this really, this hit me today as I was reading and, and, and just praying through and thinking through how to share this with you guys. He says, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. I wonder if the, the psalmist David had any idea or inkling, or even if the spirit was speaking supernaturally uh, through his mouth as he, as he penned these words. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Guys, listen, today you can know this, that even when all of hell is against you and all of the, the, the people you love have betrayed you and you know they're going to abandon you, you can still sit down and you can have dinner and you can eat and you can have peace and you can enjoy the moment. Because the same God who called you to the dinner table, he knows that the betrayer is there but He still has a plan for your life. And I believe that plan is peace, that you can have peace in the ta- at the table of your enemies, in the middle of the war. So I challenge you to rest today in the peace of God that surpasses understanding, which doesn't even make sense based on situations. And uh, I just want to say a few things about communion communion is literally just that number four was Jesus invited us to the table of remembrance communion um, is an invitation to sit at the table with Christ that's been given to us communion or the Lord's Supper the Eucharist is to remember his sacrifice As we eat at the table with Christ, we remember and thank him and glorify him for his sacrifice. Communion allows us to live in a new covenant by grace. The law condemned, but grace through faith is what saves. Recognize, finally, that his blood was shed for us. We have to remember, we have to recognize, we have to understand that Jesus did all that he did to redeem the lost, and I was that person. Totally lost. After Jesus declares and says that Judas Iscariot, even though he doesn't say his name, his betrayer is with them at the table, um, the apostles get in a big argument. It's so human to, to, to have so much powerful influence sitting right there at the table and then to get your mind... Wrapped around some other fact, they started to, to 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 argue over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God and Jesus. I can just I can almost feel his frustration as he says, um, "The king of the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you let him be as the younger, and he who governs, as he who serves." Number five, the fifth point here is that Jesus calls his own to serve rather than to be served. His own mission was to serve. Our mission now is to serve. Now his mission in glory is to reign and to rule and to one day come back and and to call his bride by the resurrection. To pray for us, to advocate for us. But he calls us to serve rather than to be served. And he says this. But you are those, and I hope Jesus would say this about me, you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Our servanthood, our obedience to Christ to serve, one day, we'll be replaced by the glorious presence of God in heaven. By sitting at his table, one day, all of the, the things that we humble ourselves. Now, we're not doing it for the rewards. We're doing it because we're obeying, obeying God. But I know that in obedience, there is also reward. The reward is to be with Christ where he is, as we talked about yesterday as well. Jesus calls his own to serve rather than to be served. Number six is this. Jesus knows when Satan comes against you and he prays for you. You see, just like Job, Satan still has to ask God's permission since God is sovereign and he's all-powerful to even come against you if you're God's child. So be aware that if you're going through a challenge or a test where Satan is really attacking and the spiritual warfare that is surrounding your life is stronger and thicker than ever, that maybe that's because Jesus has allowed that to happen. Not because Jesus wants you to fall. He also promised that he would deliver us. And he gave us the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Uh, But he allows Satan to come against us so that we can find our strength in his word and overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus knows when Satan comes against you. He prays for you. He advocates for you in that time. This is what he says in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Listen, Jesus is over Satan, aware of his tactics. In fact, Satan has to ask Jesus to even bother you or me. But here's the key. The weapon that Satan wants to form is formed. I got to know that. If I don't think that Satan can even touch me ever, then I'm not going to be looking for him to attack. If I know, though, on the contrary, that Satan wants to destroy my life and he wants to ask Jesus for the opportunity to sift me like wheat, then I have got to be aware. This may be coming. This will be coming. And I would say this, when you shine the light on the darkness, when you start to, to speak the truth of the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ to people, you're gonna experience the sifting of the enemy. 1 John 4, 4 says this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome the spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we know from Titus 3, 5 that the Holy Spirit has washed us, has uh, raised us to life, has regenerated us. We've been born again, and so now I know that he who lives in me, which is the Holy Spirit of God, is stronger than this Satan that wants Jesus dead, than the Satan that enters people, uh, people's hearts to betray um, them and to try to destroy them and even to sift them. I know that I have an enemy. I know that the weapon is formed, but I know a God. The only one true God who has defeated him. In fact, Colossians, and I don't want to get to the, to, the, to the resurrections too soon, but Colossians says that Jesus has made a public spectacle over the spirits, over Satan. By tri- He's triumphed over them by nailing it to the cross. And so our hope today is in this, that my God knows that the sifting is coming, but not just that. He's also praying for me in the middle of this test. He says this, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, signifying in that moment that Peter was going to deny, he was going to walk away, strengthen your brethren. Jesus prayed a few things. He prayed that the faith of the apostle Peter would not fail and that when when Peter had come back to him, he would strengthen the brethren. And we see in Acts chapter 2 and 3 that The apostle Peter brings the most powerful message ever preached at Pentecost and thousands start to give their life to Christ. This is all beginning in an upper room where Satan's getting ready to sift these men. You will never see the Pentecost power of God until you walk through the testing. But we can know this, we can have hope in this. That Jesus is praying for us and advocating for us at the right hand of the throne of God. That he's on our side and that he's stronger than the enemy. Resist Satan. My challenge is that they resist him steadfast in the faith. And then Peter says, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times or deny three times that you know me. Jesus knows when Satan comes against you, he is praying for you, and then finally Jesus predicts the cross again. But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. I really feel like this is Jesus saying, the war is about to begin. Get your swords out. Get your, get your uh, if you don't even have a sword, sell your shirt and buy one because we're about to go to war. And this is going to be a very spiritual war. This is not going to be a war, uh, the war that any of the Jews thought that their Messiah would, would wage. But Jesus is waging war against the lies and the deceit and the death of Satan that started as a serpent in the Garden of Eden and has gone throughout the history of mankind. Jesus is waging war against the enemy, the same enemy that he cast demons out of people by the power of his name and his word. Church, raise your sword today and fight. And we know from Ephesians 6 that that's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's prepare to fight a battle that we've never fought. Awake sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you and give you, I believe he'll give you a mission and a purpose and he'll give you a, put a sword in your hand and he'll also put peace around you and, and your house and he'll give you victory over Satan and the lies of the enemy. But know this, if you ever, if we're ever going to overcome Satan, it's going to start by recognizing Him, by by taking out the sword of the Spirit and fighting Him, and by holding up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And the goal in Ephesians 6, and I would say even here, is to stand. Jesus predicts that He's going to go to the cross to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, and He was numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Two swords is not enough to wage a battle, to wage a war. Two swords is uh two swords are just barely enough to even protect yourself from one or two other opponents. I think Jesus is saying, like I like I kind of just explained, that we we have to wage war. We have to share in suffering in a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy, the elemental forces of darkness, and we have to overcome th- them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we, what do we take from the Last Supper? I'll just summarize it really quickly. Jesus gave his body to be broken, so that one day I will be resurrected with a perfect body. I've got to remember that and give my own life as a living sacrifice to Him. Jesus poured out His blood to forgive my sins, so that I should not abuse grace, but I should walk in the forgiveness and in the redemption and in the hope that He has given me through His blood. And in fact, I should be a conduit for His Spirit to pour that hope out on everybody that I encounter and I have uh, any contact with. And if I'm not doing that, if we're not doing those two things, if we're not remembering the broken body of Christ and taking part in the suffering of Christ, and if we're not um, showing people or pointing people towards the blood of Jesus, then we're missing the mark, guys. The entire reason I believe that Jesus had the Last Supper was to institute and to show these men that they're going to suffer like he suffered, but they're going to overcome too. I love, finally, that Jesus is praying for us. As we saw in John chapter 17, he prayed for everyone who would ever believe. And if you're one of those people, know this today. Jesus, he's the one who's praying for you and the Holy Spirit that lives in you now, that's his spirit. It prays for you with groanings that you can't even utter. So what I've got to do and what you've got to do as the church, what we have to do, guys, if we're not going to miss our Messiah, is we've got to run and get really close to him and let him just refine our lives and be obedient to follow the task which he has given us. Remember him today. Remember his hope. Remember the gospel message. It is enough. It is sufficient. Paul says this in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Thank you so much for listening today. Guys, I pray and I hope that you will like, share, comment, subscribe. um, Give us your feedback. We love you. I'm praying for you. This is Pastor Mark Page uh, signing off from another one of my teachings on the Holy Week series, Don't Miss Your Messiah following the footsteps of Jesus. Let's walk like he walked in obedience, in submission to God, and in victory. Thank you guys.